And so now, Lord, as we come to your word, we open our hearts to you now. Thank you, a God who speaks, a God who is near. And so, Lord, we just open our hearts to you now as we look to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We are super blessed to have Pastor Jody bringing the word. Jody's been on a very well-earned um, good good break, which has been a blessing. And so it's so good to have you back, Jody. Jody looks after all of our bridge care ministries, which keeps growing and expanding, as well as lots of ministry right across the church. Can we let Jody know how much we appreciate her and welcome her back this morning as well. Well, I got back on Tuesday, found out we were in a sermon series called Renew, and I thought, wow, if anyone should be feeling renewed today after five weeks of holidays, it should be me, right? I do feel renewed and refreshed, and it was a great holiday. As I was preparing this sermon, my heart was heavy as I read about a godly leader who'd had an affair with a woman. And as the story unfolded, the woman found out she was pregnant. And rather than come out and deal with the shame of the situation, this leader actually devised a plan to get rid of the woman's husband, who was actually a well-respected person in their community. Tragically, the husband was killed, made to look like an accidental death. And with the cover-up taken care of, the leader thought he had gotten away with it. And if you are thinking, whoa, I missed that one on the news feed... You did, because this account actually happened in 2 Samuel in the Bible. Peter here is God's chosen king, David. He's the leader of the nation of God's people. He falls into sin, committing adultery and then murder to cover up his mistake. And he seems to think he's above the law. He's the king after all, right? Who is there to hold him accountable He's the one who dishes out the law. He's the judge and the jury of the people of his nation. Well, after all this has taken place, God sends the prophet Nathan to meet with King David and and tells him a story about a rich man in David's kingdom who has plenty of sheep and cattle and a neighboring poor man with just one ewe lamb who is the precious family pet. The rich man had a guest come to stay And rather than feasting on one of his own numerous sheep, he took the neighbor's precious lamb and killed it for their dinner. King David was outraged that this kind of injustice would be happening under his nose in his kingdom. And he said, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die because he has had no pity. And then in that moment, the prophet Nathan turns to David And says, King David, you are that man. Now this confrontation could have gone a couple of ways for the prophet Nathan, when you think about it. He very well could have been the next one killed in David's elaborate cover-up. Or maybe he was thinking he could witness the fire of God dishing out justice to David. Adultery and murder was punishable by death under Mosaic law. But here, we see a different response, perhaps an unexpected response coming from King David. And we read this response as it's recorded for us in Psalm 51. 
let's go there together. It actually starts, it actually has this little title under Psalm 51 that says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. It says that there at the start of the text and then goes on. Here's David's response. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Can we read the next three verses together? Verse 10 to 12. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Thank you, church. David goes on. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. I wonder if you've ever read this psalm and thought, well... That's a really good psalm for the people who have done the really bad things. Hopefully I'll never need to pray a psalm like that. But that being said, I'm glad to know it's there if I ever need it. Have you ever felt like that about Psalm 51? Some of you are sitting here this morning and you can relate to the weight of sin David carries to God as he speaks these words. But there's a danger in our walk with Jesus to have an inflated view of ourselves, to see ourselves as better or above those around us, to become the judge of sinners rather than to see the sin in us. I mean, if I asked you here this morning to put your hand up if you're a sinner here today, how many of you would shoot your hand straight up? couple. This idea of seeing ourselves as sinners is sort of uncomfortable, isn't it? You know, in my last week of holidays, I was invited to go um, fishing 
on a friend's boat. He knew that I had this little desire to go fishing on a boat one day. The weather and conditions were perfect the Thursday before last. Um, and we headed out into the boat, got to Shorncliffe at five o'clock in the morning. It was a perfect day. Can you see how glassy that water is in Morton Bay? Well, we stopped at the first stop for fishing, got the rods out, baited up. The boat had this fancy water hose thing that plugged into a pump so you could kind of keep everything clean as you went along. I did manage to get a line in the water, but there were no bites. And I did throw it on the other side of the boat because that's a very spiritual thing to do if you're not catching fish, Um, but there were no bites there either. And so we thought we'd just move on to the next spot and, well, it was after the next spot that the boat started to have some issues. Apparently the motor just wasn't working like it should be and I was clueless really to what was going on. I was just enjoying the glassy water of the Moreton Bay but the owner of the boat was starting to get a little panicky and worried and he's on his phone trying to troubleshoot what's going on, trying to ring the place where he bought the boat. It was pretty new. Um, and, and we couldn't work out why the motor wasn't running like it should be. In the end, he decided to call it quits and said, I'm so sorry, we're not going to catch any fish today, but I really think we should just try and limp home with the motor as it is. I was happy with that, happy just to make it home. It was still a nice boat ride if there weren't any fish. But he called me later that day and said, Jody, you know what? It's really lucky we didn't sink in the Moreton Bay today. And I'm like, really? He said the pump that was connected to the water hose was actually pumping in water to the hull of the boat without us even realising And the motor wasn't working because the boat was too heavy for the motor to push it through the water. Thankfully, we made the decision to turn back then when we did. Thankfully, we didn't sink in the Moreton Bay. That was actually the same week that a saltwater crocodile was spotted in the Moreton Bay. So I was very happy about that. Um, But it could have been a very different ending to our fishing trip. And I'm sure there are times in boating where it's obvious you are on the sinking ship, just like there's times in our life where sin is blatant and obvious. But there are times when everything on the outside looks perfect and fine. And maybe you haven't allowed yourself to see that there's a sin problem going on inside. The truth is we are more sinful than we care to admit It's hard to see ourselves objectively. But against a holy God whose standard is perfection, how do we measure up? We fall short. Satan's greatest deception to us is that our sin is okay. Sin is okay if it's not as bad as someone else we know and what they're doing. Sin is okay if we have a good excuse or someone else to blame for it. Sin is okay if we can cover it up and and just pretend it's not there. Sin is okay if we're not caught. Is it really sin if no one knows about it? The root of this thinking is pride. And it sets us in opposition to God. It is the essence of doing life our own way and pushing God aside. 
We can look at David's action and hold his sin as the extreme. But Jesus warns us about being insensitive to God's standard and the subtle sin that is in us. You might think you're okay because you're not committing murder and adultery. Well, Jesus said, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to the same judgment as murder under God's law. And if you so look at another person with lustful intent, you have already committed adultery in your heart. This is bad news for us. By Jesus' own standards, if we care to examine our inner self, we are sinful. David has this realization that it's not even just the acts of sin that are the problem. He has a sin condition. He lives with it all the time. He's had it since he was born. Sin is a part of our human nature. We are just not capable of perfection. Even when we're trying our hardest, we fall short of the glory of God. When David finally sees himself as a sinner, the pride and self-justification that have kept his heart hard break open. And here he is, real before God. Before God, he has nothing to bring but a spirit that's been broken by the realization that he is not good. David himself holds no solutions to his problem. David is, as we are, sinners, desperately in need of a savior. This is repentance. I came across this quote. It said, Psalm 51 is the kind of prayer that requires a certain kind of God. No man will go to God just because he knows how poor he is in sin unless he knows how rich God is in mercy. Understanding our sin just digs us into a hole of depression and unworthiness if we don't ever realize that we have a merciful God who loves to forgive sinners. God does not leave us to drown on our sinking ship. He is the coast guard extending his hand out to rescue us. Even lost in his sin, there is a truth that David knows. He knows this in his inner being, that God is the only one who can judge in complete justice and mercy. He goes to God, who, know, who he knows in his very character is kind and compassionate, gracious and abounding in love. Logic and reason tell us if we can't measure up to God's standard, why would God be bothered with us? Don't we think like that? And I can't really explain why. But I know this is truth. God loves sinners. It's his mercy and his kindness that leads us to repentance. The place of being open to the forgiveness and renewal that only God can bring. Religion is not the fix for our sin problem. If you came to church today because you remembered a sin that you committed during the week, I've got bad news for you. If that's why you came. If you came here to do business with God and repentance this morning, very good news. Stay tuned. 
But David realizes here that all the sacrifices in the world mean nothing if it was just outward show. Outward show does not move God's heart. What does move God to compassion are hearts that seek him. Hearts that are contrite, humble before him. Spirits that are broken, emptied of their prideful self and humbly ready to be filled by him. We need to be emptied of ourselves before we can be filled by God. As David comes before God in repentance, seeing himself in contrast to God's holiness, he is not turned away. He is not met with condemnation or condescension. Instead, David's words reflect the renewal and hope that is found in his God, the heart of God. Listen to those verses we read again in verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The word for create is this same action of creating that takes place in Genesis 1. David isn't asking for his heart to be renovated or fixed up. He's not hoping that God might be able to do a patch-up job here. He's pleading with God to start over. Make my heart brand new. The same creator God who spoke light into darkness, brought order into chaos, who created life out of nothing, can create new hearts in sinners. David longs for God to do that work in him, to be renewed and filled with God's spirit. Another translation says, give me a new spirit that is faithful to you. Fill me with your righteousness, your truth, your wisdom, your love. Renew me with your spirit that'll keep me abiding in you. Sin in our life will only be overcome by a fresh work of God's spirit in us. David goes on to say, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David knows sin has separated him from his relationship with God. His sin has no doubt affected a whole lot of other relationships around him and had a whole lot of consequences for other people. But the ultimate consequence David is concerned here is his offense to God. That's what undoes him. To think he was the one who caused this rift in the relationship with the one he knows he can't live without. Many of you know um, we live on Bunya Forest in Albany Creek and do a bit of mountain biking. Some of you have seen me mountain biking on a Monday and you don't even recognize me. It's true. My husband loves it when we go mountain biking together, but he manages to get out a couple of times a week um, and is really fit for riding up hills. And I am getting too old and am way too unfit to keep up with him. So riding together um, is just not that enjoyable for me. He was here in the first service. You should have seen his face fall as I said that. Um, a few months ago, a friend of ours happened to mention that he was selling his mountain bike, which is an e-bike, and wondered um, if we might be interested in buying it. He'd do us a good deal. Well, my eyes lit up. 
an e-bike. And after much convincing of my husband, who thought I had a perfectly good bike to ride in the, in the forest, um, we decided to take it out for a test ride. If you don't have a clue about how e-bikes work, you still have to pedal, okay? You still have to do a bit of work. But there's this like extra boost of power that just helps you along. When I experienced this for the first time, I could only liken it to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It was amazing. I mean, I still had to pedal and ride the bike, steer in the right direction. But as I turned, that pedal was just like... Power behind me. And on level one, you just get a little bit of help, right? But level three comes with this whoosh of power and I can literally sail up the hills right past my husband. (laughs) It is amazing. It is like the Holy Spirit in revival mode. Talk about renewing. Well, not long after I got the e-bike, I was out riding one Monday up a hill and the motor just seized up. And stopped mid-ride. I was out on my own, so I had no idea what I was doing. And it was like in that moment, the Holy Spirit departed from me. (laughs) E-bikes are actually much heavier than normal mountain bikes. So without the power, I could barely even push this bike home. As soon as the power was gone, I knew I needed to call for help. I needed a rescue. I can relate to David when he says, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Not just in my mountain biking, but in all of my life. When you've experienced life with God, when you've tasted of life in the presence of God, you don't want to do it without him. What sin would be okay? What sin would be acceptable to overlook in our life? that would compromise the presence of God being with us. Think about that. You can't hold on to sin and God at the same time. Do we really think our life is going to work if we do it our own way without the Spirit's help, without his wisdom, without his comfort, without his strength, without his power? David goes on, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You know when relationships are strained, it is far from joyful. Maybe you experienced some of that over the Christmas season. And it seems like an oxymoron here to me, but repentance is the path that leads us to joy. As we humble ourselves and seek our Heavenly Father, we receive forgiveness for sin and relationship is restored, completely restored. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. The path of repentance doesn't leave us in a constant state of moping around and feeling sad and morose over sin. Hear that this morning. When sin is dealt with, And relationship with our heavenly father is restored. The spirit breathes renewal in us. There is freedom and gratitude that overflows in joy. Joy at the cleansing of being forgiven. Joy in the healing and wholeness of life in Jesus. Joy and peace that characterizes the presence of God dwelling in us. 
Salvation is good news. Psalm 51 is good news for sinners. We are not stuck in our sin. My readings this week have been in Leviticus. And as David mentions these sacrificial offerings for sin, it kind of connected for me this week. And and I can hardly fathom what living under that system would have been like, the law that was given to Moses. A system where a blood sacrifice was required to atone for sin before God. Imagine, imagine coming to the tabernacle and later the temple, knowing your sin is carried in the offering of this lamb that walks beside you, handing it over to the priest, watching its throat being cut and its blood spilling out. It carries such a visual and visceral picture of the weight and cost and penalty of sin. We can maybe mistake God for being some kind of barbaric and bloodthirsty being, but this is not his intention here. This isn't why this system was set up. He wanted people to know the gravity of their sin. He wanted people to understand the gravity of going against him. Animal sacrifice was the picture given to communicate so tangibly what my sin cost. Sin equals death. When David says, cleanse me with hyssop, Hyssop was like this brush-type plant that was dipped in blood by the priests and kind of flicked over people who needed cleansing. It, it just seems to fall so far short of what's really needed here. The sacrificial system didn't make sin go away. They needed to be offered over and over again. Sin, sin remained this problem. And yet it points to something new, a new covenant. It points forward to a day when God would send Jesus as Savior to deliver us from sin. Listen to how the writer in Hebrews makes this comparison. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and does his special duties. He offers the same sacrifices again and again, but they can never take away sins. Jesus, our priest, offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. Then he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time he waits for his enemies to be put under his control. By that one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's those who are in Jesus. The Holy Spirit also speaks to us about this. This was prophesied by Jeremiah. This is the covenant that will come, says the Lord. I'll put my law in their hearts. They're not following something external to them. It's on their hearts and in their minds by my spirit. And he adds, I will not remember their sins anymore. I will not remember the evil things they have done. Brothers and sisters, we are not afraid to enter the most holy room. We enter boldly because of the blood of Jesus. Our sin has been dealt with as we come to the cross. 
This psalm so prophetically points to this work of Jesus that is ours in its fullness, this side of the cross and resurrection. David was looking towards it. We are in it, the new covenant. God, in his tender mercy, would bring salvation and forgiveness of sins to us, to all people. Jesus would fulfill the requirement of the law as our once for all sacrifice for sin. Through the payment of our sin on the cross, God is turned towards us, moved to us. Under this new covenant where we receive salvation, we are reborn in his spirit. New creations in Christ, washed clean in the waters of baptism. We are no longer slaves to sin, but the Spirit of God dwells in our hearts, leading us in life in Christ. Grasp hold again of the fullness that Jesus brings to this picture of relationship, this path of repentance that leads us to restoration and joy. The writer of Hebrews continues in verse 22. So let us come near to God with a sincere heart. Let us come near boldly because of our faith. Our hearts have been sprinkled. Our minds have been cleansed from a sense of guilt. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold firmly to the hope we claim to have the God who promised is faithful. Jonathan Parnell in his book, Mercy for Today on Psalm 51 says this, when you choose to follow Jesus, you are born again, born again to follow him. And every day you continue down that path, that long obedience in the same direction, putting off and putting on, crucifying the old self and giving life to the new self, saying no in order to say yes, that life, an entire life of repentance requires much mercy. And as you walk this road, you're walking deeper into the mercy, the kindness of God. Psalm 51 models for us the heart attitude of those who are seeking to live surrendered to God. Those who desire more of him. Those who long to be cleansed of sin, refreshed and renewed in his spirit. I just want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. You may have heard that you're a sinner a thousand times before. But today, just in this quiet moment, let pride melt away. Open your heart. See your sin in the light of the holiness and the mercy of God. Receive his love in this moment. He is for you, not against you. Humbly tell him that you're sorry, that your sin affects your relationship with him. Thank him for Jesus. who paid the price for our sin. Receive his forgiveness. 
Let that cleansing wash over you. No more shame. No more guilt. Ask him now to create a new heart in you. Ask him to fill you with his spirit. Ask him to restore to you the joy of salvation today. Holy Spirit, come. Renew us in your spirit today. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness poured out on us. Thank you that you never grow tired of us humbly coming to you and asking for your help. God, cleanse us from sin. Let nothing hinder your spirit's work in us or as your people called by you in this time, in this place. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your heart for us. Thank you that you are our saviour. Let's stand and worship.
Jesus, we want to worship you this morning. We want to say thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for us. And on that cross, you cried out, it is finished, Lord. And so now, Lord, we come in the knowledge of all that you've done for us. And we say, Holy Spirit, search our hearts, Lord. Search our hearts. We are hungry for more of you. Hungry for more of you. Lord, our desire is to know more of you at work in our hearts and our lives, Lord. We know that when there's things, Lord, that quench your spirit, things that become blockages there, Lord, we can come to you now, right now in these moments. You're faithful. You promise that we confess our sin, Lord. You're faithful. You're just. Forgive us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that we can come to you with confidence this morning, laying these things before you. And in that then, Lord, knowing the renewing of your spirit, Lord, Renewing of the joy of our salvation in you, great God. The fresh filling and empowering, Lord. We long for more of you, great God. In our hearts, in our lives, in our church, your church, Lord. In this community. And Lord, we know it begins with us. The reviving work begins in our own hearts, Lord. And so I pray this week, as we seek you over these three days of prayer, as we're praying your kingdom come, Lord. This is where it begins. What a, what a word for us as we step into this week, Lord. 
that we begin searching our own hearts. Do a renewing, reviving work in our hearts, Lord. Show us anything that would hinder your work, Lord. And then by your Spirit, enable us, Lord, just to bring these before you with confidence, Lord, because of your great mercy and grace, because of the cross, because of your sacrifice for us. We can come, bring it to you. And so, Lord, I pray individually, corporately this week as we seek you, you'll do a powerful, mighty work in our hearts, Lord. We long to be a holy people, seeking after you, great God. And so, Lord, lead us in this, we pray. Just greater freedom, we pray, in our hearts and our lives. More of your work within us, Lord. Your spirit moving among us. Lord, that the world would hear and know the good news, Lord, this incredible news, that though we are sinners, you have come to make a way to know life and peace eternal in you. We worship you, great God. Continue to do your work in our hearts, we pray. Lead us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer, our prayer lounge is up the back. Some of our team would love to pray for you there. Our prayer team will be down the front here as well. Do stay for a tea and coffee. Don't forget our Connections Lounge if you're new, but God bless you. Thanks so much for sharing with us this morning.